Uh, let's go into Matthew 22 if you're in the adults. We're going to teach you uh, the doctrine of Christology. Okay, on the doctrine of Christology. Biblical, biblical Christology. But in doing biblical Christology, we're going to show you historical teachings on Christology, which are uh, in error. Okay, so you understand Christology? What that means? The teaching of Jesus Christ about him and his person and his work. His person and his work. Okay, who he is and what he's done. That's what Christology is, okay? Who Jesus is and what he's done, okay? His finished work. So let's go to uh, Matthew 22 and uh, verse 42. Jesus asked this question to the Pharisees. As they were gathered uh, around him together, the Bible says in verse 42, saying to them, What think ye of Christ? What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. The question is, What think ye of Christ? Major question for all of us today in this church is, What think ye of Christ? Who is he? Okay. Um, and then the Bible says, he saith unto them, verse 43, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies uh, thy footstool. Okay, so the point being that David was declaring that he wasn't only a man, but that he was God. Okay. And verse 45, if David then call him Lord, how is he his son? So he's David's Lord, which means he's David's God, but he's also the son of David. So how, he, how can he be David's God and then be David's son at the same time? Now, we're going to learn some things because these, these two streams right here, especially in the Old Testament, these two streams was confusing to the Jewish interpreters. They did not understand these two streams, okay? Therefore, when Jesus came, they missed him. Those two streams, that when he would come, he is the Lord, that he's God, and when he would come, he would be a man. And they just, they could not figure out when they read those Old Testament prophecies how that the Messiah could be God and how he could be a man. Okay? And so because they lacked understanding of those two streams, how it would happen, they missed Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Okay? So it's a very important question. So anyway, Jesus is asking them, if David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word neither durst any man from that day forth ask him 
any more questions. Okay, explain. He's asking them to explain these two streams. Okay? Matthew 27, please turn there. 22. <clears throat> Matthew 27, 22. Pilate says this. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? The second question is, after the first question Jesus asked is, Who is he? Then Pilate says, What shall I do with him? Those two questions determine your eternal destiny and my eternal destiny. Okay? Who he is and what you do with him, what he did. Those two things determine destiny. Alright? That's how important this lesson is that I'm about to teach you. Please look at your neighbor. Help me stir them up by, by telling them this is so important. Your eternal destiny depends on your understanding. Heaven and hell. It's that important. Okay? Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. I ask you, God, to help me, strengthen me, anoint me, and I may teach your word, and the people may receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. So this determines... <clears throat> Salvation, the plan of salvation, apart from who he is and what he has done, there is absolutely no approach to God. Okay? If he's not who he claimed that he was and he did not do what he claimed he did, we're lost today. Okay, so let's go to John 14, please. Yesterday we had a funeral service uh, for one of the kids that were on bus ministry. Uh, their grandmother passed away and we were asked to do the service and the Lord moved on my heart to do that service. And I told the people there in that service and pointed to her casket. I said, how are you going to get out of that casket without Jesus Christ? I said, I told him, I said, you are not going to get out of that casket. There's no way out of that casket without Jesus Christ. Okay? That's it. Nobody can get you out of that casket except Jesus Christ. And so I told him, I said, I admonish you to prepare to know God. Prepare to be ready for eternity. Because the Lord Jesus is the only one they can get you out of that casket. Okay? And that is the truth. Now, the Bible tells us then, in John 14, please, look at this. It came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. That they watched him. That's, I'm sorry, that's Luke. Go to John. Go to John 14. Didn't make sense to me. Okay, John 14. Verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. 
God, believe also in me. Look at verse 6. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Okay? So if you, he said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, you can't come to God except by him. Now, number one, that tells us that he is God. And he's the only way to God. So who he is and what he's done provides salvation for us. You ready for this? Okay. Um, major doctrines of Christ. True. Um, we're going to talk about the true doctrine of Christ. We're going to talk about major divisions uh, in history as to who he is and what he has done. Look at your neighbor and ask the question, who is he? Okay. First of all, first division, who is he? And then we'll deal with what he's done. Now, all heresies concerning Jesus Christ, all heresies concerning Jesus Christ were in existence in the early church. And I say in the early church, at the time of the early church. So that all heresies today about his person, false doctrine about his person, uh, today it's not new. The false heresies about who Jesus Christ was existed in the time of the early church. So there's not any new heresies. And the early church, the apostles in their writings, so on and so forth, dealt with all of the false heresies concerning the person of Jesus Christ in their writings. Okay, so keep that in mind. There are no new heresies. They're just old heresies. Now, the old heresies in the, in the time of the early church were in seed form. And with time, those heresies that were in seed form at the time of the early church developed, okay, more and more into a greater heresy. But as far as seed form is concerned, the heresies that are still present today were in the early church, the time of the early church. And the apostles dealt with those heresies. All right? You understand that? The first one is... You might want to write this down. Um, in the early second century, the heresy of the Ebionites, E-B-I-O-N-I-T-E-S, Ebionites. Uh, these are Jews in the early second century. Now, the Hebrew word uh, E-B-I-O-N, which we get that name Ebionites from. That Hebrew word means poor, humble, and oppressed. So these group of people called the Ebionites believed because of their poverty they were the only true disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. Because the word in the Hebrew means poverty or poor 
were oppressed. They said they were the only true disciples of Jesus Christ because of their poverty. Okay? Did you catch that? And these Jewish Ebionites who claimed that they were the true disciples of Jesus Christ, Jewish, they're Jewish, they also taught that the Jewish ceremonies and Jewish customs of the Old Testament was still binding on the believer in the New Testament church. They upheld the writings and teachings of Peter and of James, but they fought or hated the writings and teachings of Paul. And the reason is, if you go to Colossians chapter 2, because they believed that the Jewish ceremonies were, were still binding on the uh, New Testament church when Paul addressed these things in Colossians. One of the reasons why they hated his writings. Okay. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. there and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of, of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to the cross all right so those handwriting ordinances, the uh, ceremonial laws, etc., that had to do with the Sabbath days, circumcision, things like that, they said that was binding on the Gentile believer. So they taught that the Gentiles must be circumcised physically in the flesh and they must observe the Sabbath days, Jewish customs of the Old Testament. All right? Now they did not like the writing of Paul because... Paul said those ordinances were nailed to the cross. Okay, you with me here? All right. Now, as far as their doctrine uh, concerning who Jesus is, there were two groups of the Ebionites. One group was the Pharisaic Ebionites, and they were the successors to the Judaizers of Paul's day. Okay, remember the Judaizers came along and said that you had to be circumcised physically in order to be saved. Which means, what that means is, they were teaching that the Gentile had to become a Jew in order to be saved. A physical Jew. Now, we're spiritual Jews because we're born again. We, we're the seed of Abraham and we're spiritual Jews by the new birth. But they taught that we had to become physical Jews by circumcision in order to be saved. And throughout the book of Acts, when the Apostle Paul came and preached the gospel, there were Judaizers that followed him wherever he went. His long blue robe Pharisees. Everywhere he went, they followed him and they declared that teaching. Okay? 
if you're going to be saved and you're a Gentile, you have to be circumcised, you have to become a Jew. And Paul refuted that in the book of Acts and in his writings. That's why the Ibionites hated him, his writings. Okay, because Paul said you did not have to become physically a Jew in order to be saved. Correct? One of the Judaizers that we're talking about. People who declared that you had to become a Jew. Judaizers. With me? Okay. Um, so anyway, these Pharisaic Ebionites are the successors to the Judaizers of Paul's day. Now, there's a second group called the Essenic. Essenic, E-S-S-E-N-I-C. Essenic Ibionites. They were more tolerant to uh, the Jewish Sabbaths and Jewish customs being kept by the uncircumcised believer, which means they didn't require that for uncircumcised Gentiles that were believers. And that group is the Essenic Ebionites. Okay? Now, the Ebionites denied his deity, denied that Jesus was God, and they denied his virgin birth. They taught that he was only a man. Okay? And the reason why they taught that, because they, they believed in monotheism, that there was only one God. Say with me, one God. Well, they're right about that. The Ebionites were right about that and saying there's only one God. But because of their view of monotheism, one God, they said in order for Jesus to be God would mean that there'd have to be two gods. We misunderstood. Okay. But I'm explaining where they came up with, with the, the teaching that Jesus wasn't God. They said because we only believe in one God. And if Jesus is God, then we got more than one God. Right? Which is not true, but that's that was their, their thinking. So the Ibionites then, along with trying to turn Gentile believers into Jews, make them become Jews in order to be saved, put those customs on them, they also taught that Jesus was not God, that he was just a man. So this group then denies the deity of Jesus. Okay? all through the Bible, in the epistles, the book of Revelation, the Gospels, all declare Jesus is God. In fact, Matthew, first New Testament Gospel says he's Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. So all the way through, through the New Testament, the Bible is very clear about the deity of Jesus, that he's God. So then the Ibionites, as I said, their view that said that Jesus was not God because they were one God believers, okay, then is not accurate. It's false. And it was dealt with in the early church. Now the next group is called the Gnostics. Gnostics were about the same time as the Ibionites. Now, to give you a time frame here, 135 A.D., the Ibionites faded away. So you see 2nd century here, 135 A.D., this group faded away. So these groups we're talking about is 2nd century A.D. groups. Now, the Gnostics existed 
at the same time basically as the Ebionites. They were different from the Ebionites. The Ebionites denied the deity of Jesus. The Gnostics denied the humanity of Jesus. That he was not a true man. Okay? How many ever heard of the Gnostics? All right. There is three groups uh, in the Gnostic, and that is, first of all, this word, D-O-C-E-T-A-E. Now, uh, Dosatai denied the reality of his body. Now, this is Gnosticism. He denied the reality of his body and said that he was just a phantom. So that when Jesus, if you really study it, they taught that when Jesus walked on the earth because he wasn't a true human, that he was just a phantom, he did not even leave footprints in the sand. Okay? So, no, not, not a true man. So they deny the humanity of Jesus. Within the Gnostic group, just the word Gnostics. They taught that he had a real body, but not physical. Okay? The first group that we made mention of that's within Gnosticism said that he did not have a body, he was only a phantom. This group called just the Gnostics, a real body, but not physical. And the reason they taught that was because they had a doctrine, and that doctrine was that the flesh was evil your body is evil okay now we know the sin nature is evil but there's nothing in the Bible that teaches that your physical body is evil but this was a doctrine of Gnosticism it taught that the body was evil the flesh was evil therefore Jesus Christ could not have been truly human because that would have made him evil so then this demise as well uh, the humanity of Jesus Christ. And then there's another uh, man, C-E-R-I-N-T-H-I-U-S. Now, he's a Gnostic. Here's what uh, Serentheus taught, that Jesus and Christ are different. That when you say Jesus, Christ, you're talking about two different. One, when you say Jesus, you're talking about an ordinary man. When you talk about Christ, you're talking about the spirit or power of God called Christ. Okay? So basically, so I explain it to you. Uh, this individual who was in Gnosticism, Serentheus, taught that... Christ was a divine spirit, okay? And a spirit called Christ, okay, you with me? Descended on him at baptism and left him at the cross right before he died. Okay? So that Jesus is his humanity, the Christ is his spirit, a divine being that only temporarily dwelt in Jesus. Okay? 
that it came on him at his baptism and it left him just before he died. That's what uh, this teaching of Gnosticism was about. Okay? Again, Christ's divine being temporarily dwelt in a man. Now, this heresy of Gnosticism is dealt with, and I'll give you the scriptures. In Colossians, the whole book of Colossians, basically, First and Second Timothy, First John, Jude, Revelation, John twenty verse thirty one. Let let me just go there while you're writing those verses down. John twenty thirty one. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Okay? Another one is in 1 John 5, 20. Okay? The scripture tells us here, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Okay? And then Hebrews 2, 14, and 1 John 4, 1 through 4. I'll read 1 John 4, 1 through 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they say where they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the what? Flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist wherewith aware of you have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. Okay, so that to deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that he's God come in the flesh is the spirit of Antichrist. Alright? John's very clear about this. If you do not believe that God came in flesh you are walking in the spirit of Antichrist. First uh, Timothy 3.16 very clear it tells us that God was man flesh oh, let's go there but anyway the Gnostics are denying the flesh or the humanity of Jesus but the scripture again they dealt with these heresies in that early church 1 Timothy 3 16 there look at it please and without controversy there's no controversy great is the mystery of what godliness God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles believed on in the world and received up into glory 
very clear that he was God manifest in the flesh. Colossians 1 9 and 2 9. Let me read those. Colossians 1 9. Excuse me. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Okay? The pleroma, the Roma of God. All the fullness of God dwells in Him. Now it's bodily, correct? Did He have a body? Colossians 2 9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness. There it is again. The pleroma. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So the scriptures are very clear that he was God manifested in the flesh. Now, oftentimes we focus on preaching the deity of Jesus Christ, but we also need to emphasize as a church, as we preach and teach him, that he was also a man. He had a body, a human body, a real human body, and he was a complete human being body soul and spirit now did you hear that a complete human being body soul and spirit a human spirit human body human soul human spirit with God in him all right say praise the Lord now another doctrine early heresy uh, a man by the name of Arius A-R-I-U-S and this this was one of the main reasons why there was a council of Nicaea 325 A.D. the council of Nicaea 325 A.D. gathered primarily to refute the doctrine of Arius called the Arian, Arian doctrine or Arius. Now, what Arius taught was that Jesus was a created being. That he was a demigod. Uh, basically half God. Okay. But to make it clear so you can understand, Arius taught that Jesus was a created little God. He's just a little God. He's a demigod. He's sort of half God. And this is the doctrine. This is where the Jehovah Witnesses get their teaching. They teach that Jesus was a demigod, that he was a little God, that he was a created God. All right? And that was condemned in the Council of Nicaea 325 AD. So that he was not God. Um, but he was the highest of all created beings, divine, but not deity. Divine means having the attributes of God, but not God. Okay? Next one. Apollinarians. Apollinarians. Apollinarius. 
was a notable bishop of Laodicea. He taught an incomplete humanity of Jesus. Say with me, he was complete in his humanity. Okay, Apollinarius taught that Jesus had a human body, but an animal soul. And that the spirit of the Christ, the spirit of Christ, was his mind. Okay? Does that make sense? So he taught that Jesus didn't have a human soul. He had an animal soul. Therefore, that doctrine taught an incomplete humanity of Jesus Christ. Okay? This doctrine was condemned at the Council of Constantinople. First uh, Thessalonians 5.23. Go there, please. And this will probably be a little boring to you at the beginning when we get into these historical heresies, but we'll, we'll teach you what the Bible says about this person in just a moment. Um, but just bear with me as we go some of these false, false teachings. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us, it talks about what makes up a human being. Body, soul, and spirit. So Jesus had a body, human body, a human soul, and a human spirit. As to his humanity. Okay, now remember in the garden, uh, he said, "Not my will, but your will be done." Okay, well the Apollinarius or the Apollinarians taught that Jesus did not have a will, or did not have a soul. That he had an animal soul, but he says clearly, "Not my will be done, but Thy will be done." another place he says my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death so he clearly says that he says not my will be done and then he says my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death so he had human soul and then the Bible says uh, praying on the cross into thy hands I commend my spirit see that Okay. So the, then Apollinarius, the Apollinarians, there was a false doctrine that taught an incomplete humanity of Jesus Christ. Another false heresy was uh, by a man by the name of Nestorius, and he was responsible for the group called the Nestorians. He said that Jesus was filled with God that he was a spirit-filled man, okay? But not true deity. And that Jesus made mistakes. He made errors in his mind. This heresy was condemned in 431 AD by the Synod of Ephesus. Now, the reason why Mysterious came up with this doctrine was because he rejected the teaching that Mary was the mother of God. And so to keep away from the error, 
that taught Mary was the mother of who? God. He said that Jesus wasn't God. He was only a man filled with God. Okay? Now that's the way he dealt with the false doctrine that said Mary was the mother of God. He didn't, he didn't know what else to do with it. Okay? Now he's not biblical, but he knew that Mary was not the mother of God. And so the way he dealt with that false teaching was by saying that Jesus wasn't God. He was only filled with God as a man. Okay? It was like one false doctrine bred another false doctrine to combat it. You see? So today, many of these doctors we're talking about, like we've already covered some Jehovah Witnesses hold that he's half God or a little God. Uh, Catholicism holds that Mary's the mother of God. Well, this man here, Nestorius, said he's not God. He's just filled with God to combat that false doctrine. Okay? Another uh, individual spelled E-U-T-Y E-U-T-Y uh, C-H-E-S I'm assuming that's how do you say it? Sounds good to me. Eutyches? I don't know. That's a strain. But anyway, uh, Eutychians, I would say Eutychians uh, is the group that came from him, 451 AD, that Jesus did not have two natures. This really gets strange. That Jesus didn't have two natures, those two natures being man and God, that the two were so one that they made a third nature. Strange. Okay, that he didn't have two natures, he had, but the two natures combined and mingled together so closely together that they created another nature, a third nature. And so they taught uh, that everything, even his body and his human nature, were divine. That's false. I don't know. So basically what they said, Jesus was a hybrid. That he was a hybrid. Okay? That these two natures, humanity and deity, were, or divinity were so mingled together that they produced something totally different. Called a hybrid, a third nature. Wow. I'm not sure who, who holds that doctrine today, but that's what they taught. Um, groups that came out of this heresy, mono, mono, Monophysites, monophysites, M-O-N-O-P-H-Y-S-I-T-E-S, monophysites, taught there was one nature and one will. Okay? One nature and one will, not two natures. Another thing that came out of this teaching was called adoptionism. And the adoptionist taught that Jesus was not begotten by God, but Adoptionism. He was adopted. And, and what that means is that at some point in Jesus' human life, 
he became God. At some point in his adult life, he became God by because God adopted him by a process of adoption. He became God at some point in his life. It's called adoptionism. He became God. Okay, so praise the Lord. Then the Ibionites then deny his what? His deity. The Gnostics deny his humanity. Arians taught he was a created being. Apollinarians taught, there you go, an incomplete humanity of Jesus or an incomplete human nature. Nestorians or Nestorius taught that he was only a man filled with God and denied the union of the two natures in him. Uh, the Eutychians, however you say that, oh, that's a word. Anyway, they deny his dual nature and say a third or hybrid nature came of the two. And so that even that human nature was divine. Okay. Then we have uh, monophysites. Monophysites. Oh. They deny the dual nature as well. So there's only one nature and one will in him. You with me? Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, giving you those false heresies, false doctrines that were in that, you know, most of them seed form the, the time of the early church. As you can see, you know, they were developed more and more as, as history went along. But the Old Testament, what does the Bible teach? What does it say? Who is Jesus? Who is he? Okay, that's what we're on right now. Who is Jesus? We say, by the word of the Lord, that Jesus had a dual nature. Now, was he half God and half man? in here look at you get close to you in case they're standing up there okay was he half God and half man okay um, was he the second person in the Godhead okay well then what does the Bible say did, did Jesus have was he 100% man how many of y'all believe he was 100% man okay how many believe that he was 100% God at the same time? Okay, so if he's 100% God and 100% man at the same time, then we would, we would say he had a dual nature. A dual nature. Really, though, to be honest with you, if we really want to be biblical, and, and I'm not going to stop saying dual nature when I'm teaching, but for the sake of our understanding, if we really want to be biblical, we wouldn't say dual nature. We would just say, in reference to Jesus, he was human and God. He was the God-man. Now that's really, if you really want to get technical and you really want to get biblical, when you talk about who Jesus is, he was a man, and you know, he is a man, and he is God. Okay? That's, I mean, so simple. That, that, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop saying dual nature, but biblical, human, 
and God at the same time. That's really technically biblical. Now, in the book of Jude, the Bible tells us here, I thank God we have the Bible so we can go to the Bible and we can see what the Bible teaches about who he was. Okay? Uh, I don't have a book of creeds with me today. I'm not going to read to you the Nicene Creed. I'm not going to read to you the Apostolic Creed or the, what they call the Apostles' Creed. I'm not going to read to you Athanasius, the Athanasius Creed. I'm not going to read those creeds to you. Even, even some creeds that may be very close to being correct in what they say still use Trinitarian terms. So I, I, don't, I didn't bring no creeds with me today. I, I have the Bible with me today. And, and I'm going to let the Bible, okay, not church dogma, which is dogma, dogma is what man says the Bible says. I'm not going to let church dogma or creeds define him for me. I'm going to let the Bible define him for me, okay? So in the book of Jude, in Jude the Bible says in verse 3, and you don't have to explain to me that those creeds they were trying to hammer out, you know, defend uh, against heresy certain truths about Jesus, but they still were inaccurate in their terms. Okay, you don't have to explain that to me. Okay, Jude verse 3, are you there? Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should contend, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So he, he starts he starts to write, he starts to write, starts out by to write about salvation. But in the middle of the Spirit of God comes on him and says, no, I want you to write about contending for the faith which is once, and literally the translation is once and for all delivered to the saints. Okay? So there's one faith. Say one faith. There are not many faiths. There is one faith. Now there's many different denominations, but there's only, according to the Bible, there's only one faith. And we are to contend for that one faith, which is once and for all delivered to the saints. All right? And we have it in the Bible. Okay? Now, let's look at what the Old Testament says. The Old Testament prophecies about Jesus tell us who he is. You with me? First of all, that he would be God. So let's look at some passages that teach prophetically in the Old Testament that Jesus would be God. In Isaiah chapter 7, please turn there. Isaiah 7, 14. Y'all all right up there? Okay. Now, by the way, if you really want in-depth teaching on uh, Christology. There's a whole series on Christology that we taught. It's called One Hour and Oneness. Okay, it is very. It's the most in-depth teaching on the oneness of God that I've ever done in this church. If you want it, it's available to you. 
if you want to go on the internet, Sister Norma is still on the internet, still on the internet, or BibleCenterFellowship.org, I believe, correct, right, Sister? BibleCenterFellowship.org, and then you'll see a link over to the left-hand side. Is it at the top now? Okay, where the teachings. We've downloaded some teachings onto that website, BibleCenterFellowship.org, and you can click on that link, and you can listen to the whole series, if I remember correctly, on the Internet. That is, is, is a whole course on Christology. I'm only going to teach probably a few messages, depending on how God leads me on Christology. But if you want the whole course that we taught, you can go on the Internet, BibleCenterFellowship.org. Click on the links and the teachings, and it's on there for you. You don't even have to buy anything. And in that teaching, we don't just teach the oneness of God. We teach you what the Trinitarians believe as well. Okay? All right. Now, in the word of the Lord, in the Old Testament, we have prophecies that tell us that Jesus would be God. Now, before we read these, let me say it again. These two streams, the deity and the humanity of Jesus, was seen in the Old Testament prophecies as to who he is. When the Jewish interpreters read those scriptures and some of them declared he was God, then other ones declared that he was human, these two streams they couldn't reconcile them. Okay? They didn't understand how he could be God and how he could be man. They just didn't understand it. Now the New Testament, and we'll talk about it as we come to the end of the message today, the New Testament explains how it happened. But they just they just did not understand how this could possibly happen. That he would be God, 100% God, and 100% man at the same time. How can that happen? Okay. So, first of all, let's look at the scriptures that clearly teach prophetically that Jesus would be God. Isaiah 7, 14. Okay, Isaiah is going to give a prophecy to a king by the name of Ahaz, the wicked king. And this is a sign, the Bible says. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin, say virgin, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Please don't go to sleep on me. This is too important. I go to Matthew 1. Matthew 1. Okay, so you got it? You got Isaiah. Did you write Isaiah 7 down? Verse 14. Now, I know I'm teaching some people that know these truths, but maybe some don't. Uh, write them down. Isaiah 7, 14, prophecy. Matthew chapter 1, fulfillment of prophecy. Okay. And the Bible is clear in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which being interpreted is God with us. Okay? So uh, a Hebrew prophet by the name of Isaiah is given Ahaz a sign that a virgin shall be with child, okay? A son, and he would be Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us or with us God. Matthew interprets it for us. Okay, so it's clear then, right by the Bible, correct? I'm not giving you something that's out of my own head. It's clear by the word of the Lord, the Old Testament, that there's a string that is saying to us that when he comes, he would be Emmanuel or with us, God. God with us. Okay? Very clear as to the deity of Jesus. Now go to Isaiah 9. Verse 6. Again, prophecy. Approximately 700 years B.C. Okay? Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So can you imagine all of a sudden Isaiah is prophesying in Isaiah chapter 7 about the son that the virgin would give birth to would be Emmanuel, God with us. Can you imagine when he said that? What the thought of the people was at that time? That this virgin is going to give birth to a son, but this son is God. And then he keeps preaching and he gets over to Isaiah chapter 9 in his prophecy and he, keep, and he prophesies again and he tells us for unto us a child is born a son is given and thou shalt call his name wonderful counselor, mighty God everlasting father prince of peace so that this son that would be born would be God Isaiah 7 14 and he would be the mighty God, the everlasting, or the ever and the everlasting Father. Wow! So you can you can imagine what they must have been going through as they hear this prophet prophesy, and they probably think, "Man, maybe he's off. How can he be a child born, a son given, but yet be the father at, at the same time? How can he be son and father at the same time?" This was their dilemma how to reconcile these two streams but it's very clear that he's the mighty God and he is the everlasting father okay there's only one God and there's only one everlasting father and the Bible is clear prophetically that Jesus would be this mighty God everlasting father now, in Jeremiah 23, 5-6, for the sake of time, we won't turn there, but he's called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. So that when he comes, he's going to be a man, but he's the Lord our righteousness. Declaring the deity of Jesus Christ prophetically. Micah 5-2. Remember that prophecy about Bethlehem? Go over there. Micah 5 2. 
You with me? Okay. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah. And the prophet was very specific. He says Bethlehem Ephratah because there were two, Ephrath, two Bethlehems in Israel. So he says Bethlehem, the one that's over in Ephratah. Okay. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So that the one that would be born in Bethlehem is eternal. How can he be born and eternal at the same time? It almost sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. Okay? He is going to be eternal. That means he's the eternal God, but he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay? Praise the Lord, church. Psalm 45 and 6. If we stay with the Bible, it's easy. It's simple. You understand? You know, we start talking about the Edenites and talking about the Gnostics and talking about, you know, all of those different theories, heresies. Man, the Bible is not that hard to understand. Okay, Psalm 45, 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. So he's talking about the throne of God, correct? Okay, who's he talking about here? What? Who is this prophecy about? Thy throne, O God. We go to the New Testament, it tells you in the book of Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews. Chapter 1 and verse 8. And we've taught you the book of Hebrews and we explained, you know, the terms. He's the expressed image, you know, of God, so on and so forth. But anyway, Hebrews 1, verse 8. The prophecy of Psalm 45 verse 6 is applied to Jesus, applied to the Son. Look. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So now the, the New Testament apostle takes the verse in Psalms and says, he was talking about the Son. Thy throne, O God. Isn't that beautiful? So, these are just a few of the passages in the Old Testament that prophetically declare that He would be God. So we have that string. Okay? Now, in the Old Testament, the humanity of Jesus is declared. We'll call it another string. Okay? Now, not two separate strings, but anyway... Virgin born, Genesis 3. Go there. 
Genesis chapter 3, very clear that when he comes, he would be born of a virgin. It means he would be human. All right, Genesis 3 and 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So we see here the Bible says that he is called the seed of the what? Woman. He's not called the seed of man. He's called the seed of a woman, which means he would be virgin born. He would not be begotten by a human father. So he's not called the seed of man. He's called the seed of a woman. Are you with me? Which, which is teaching that he's going to be virgin born. Okay? His father's not going to be human. As far as the one that begot him. His father is going to be God. So he's called the seed of the woman, which is emphasizing his virgin birth. Okay? That declares then that he is human. Virgin-born son of God. Okay? Now, Isaiah 7, 14, we already read to you uh, that, well, I'll go back over there so we get the word right. Isaiah 7, 14, not only declares that he's deity, Emmanuel, but declares that he is going to be a son. Isaiah 7, 14. Once again. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a what? A son. And thou shalt call his name God with us. Get it? So now the Bible again once in that same prophecy declares another stream about him that he would be a son. He would be a man. Human. I mean, they probably started scratching their head. The listeners of that prophecy are scratching their head. He's going to be a son. He's going to be God. Get it? But anyway, this prophecy is declaring that stream of the humanity humanity of Jesus Christ. Now, Zechariah 3 and verse 8 and then 6, 10 through 12 the prophet Zechariah calls him the man, the branch, or a man, the branch. Zechariah 3, 8. Let's go there. Zechariah 3, verse 8 there okay here now O Joshua the high priest thou and thy fellows that sit before thee for they are men wondered at for behold I will bring forth my servant the branch now 610 let's go there Six ten through 12 take of them of the captivity even of Hilda of Tobijah and of uh, Jediah, which are come from Babylon, and come thou the same day and go into the house of Josiah the son of Zephaniah. 
Then take silver and gold and make crowns and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now notice the word branch is all capitalized. So he, the branch is a man. This is none less than God. Okay, with me? Now, Isaiah 11. Let's go to the prophet Isaiah. Yeah, so now at this point, it's very clear. He'd be a son, be virgin born, seed of the woman. Very clear that he is a man. Isaiah 11, 1 through 4. There shall come forth the rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked very clear that this branch going to come out of Jesse is a man okay, he's got lips he's got a mouth so on and so forth now I'm just going to give you these we're not going to look at all the verses but Genesis 22 18 he's called the seed of Abraham Say the seed of Abraham. Now think about that one. He's the Bible says he is uh, virgin born. He'd be virgin born, the seed of the woman, virgin born. He wouldn't have a human father, but yet he's called the seed of Abraham. Now think about that. The reason why he would not be the seed of man or be born of a, a human man, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Be begotten by a human man is because the sin nature would be passed on to him from that earthly father. So he's going to be virgin born. But then he's called the seed of Abraham. Now look, Abraham and Sarah could not have children. And there's a reason for that. Do you understand? The seed, the natural seed that was in Abraham, it had to, it had to die. And, and God had to come, and, and Isaac was born out of promise. So that, you with me? That seed of that, that fallen Adamic nature, amen, was replaced in Abraham supernaturally so that it would not pass on to Jesus Christ. So that naturally Abraham couldn't produce children. He was too old. So God steps in and works a miracle. Amen. And Sarah gets pregnant with a child supernaturally by God so that Abraham's natural seed was bypassed supernaturally by the Spirit of God. 
so that now Jesus could call the seed, be called the seed of Abraham and that fallen nature would not be passed on to him. Okay, do you understand that? So he's the seed of Abraham. Then the scripture tells us in uh, Genesis 26, 2 through 4, he's called the seed of Isaac. And then Genesis 28, 13 through 14, he's called the seed of Jacob. Now back before that, in Genesis 9, 26, he said you would find him in the tents of Shem. Now this is all dealing with his humanity. Okay? So if you're going to find him, where are you going to look for him? Well, he's the virgin-born son of God. He's the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob. He's going to come out of the tents of Shem. That's where you're going to find him. The tents of Shem, Shem, the offspring of Shem is Israel. The Semitic people. So if you're going to find him, what tent he's going to come out of, he's going to come out of the Semitic people, Shem. Look for him to come in that group of people. Okay? The Bible is very specific as to his humanity. Now, the scripture continues. Uh, in Gen is Numbers 24, 17 through 19. Numbers 24, 17 through 19. The nation that he would come out of is Israel. Okay? As far as the nation. And this is his humanity, obviously. And then the tribe, what tribe of Israel? The tribe of Judah. So the Bible narrows it down for us. Genesis 49, 10 through 12. He'd be of the tribe of Judah. But what family in Judah? What family in Judah? Jesse. Right? Isaiah 11, 1 through 2. Hey, Jesse. And what house, though? Well, Jesse's going to give, he's going to sire a son. Who is it? Then what house will it be? The house of David. So can you imagine if you're a Jewish person hearing these prophecies, reading these prophecies, trying to interpret it? One prophecy says he's God. Prophecy says he's God. Another one says he's human, you know, and it tells you uh, he's virgin born. It tells us the seed of Abraham, seed of Isaac, seed of Jacob. He's going to come out of the tents of Shem in Genesis chapter 9. And then you find out he's going to come out of the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. And then you, can, then you find he's going to come out of the house of David, 2 Samuel 7 12 through 14. How can these two streams be fulfilled in one, one person? That, that's where the, the difficulty was for the Jewish coverage of the Old Testament, these two streams. How in the world can this happen? Amen? So it's, it's real clear, is it not, in the word of the Lord, that he would be God and he would be man. At, I, I use the term at the same time. Okay? But how? The New Testament explains it. It's the story of the Gospel of Matthew. This is what they did not understand. Okay? They have the prophecies, they just didn't understand. 
Matthew 1, 18. Matthew 1, 18-23. Luke 1, 35 as well. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary, say his mother Mary, was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. That's how. The New Testament explains how. So we have the virgin, correct, Mary. We have her with child and it's, he's of the Holy Ghost, correct? Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought in these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all these, this was done. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with what? Child, and shall bring forth a what? Son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, how? God with us. So now the New Testament explains it. How can it happen? That was the dilemma that uh, those that read the Old Testament prophecies could not understand. Let's go to Luke 1. Verse 35. He was, praise the Lord, he was so marvelous. He was so marvelous. When Luke talked about him, he says, I don't know how to, to describe him. It's just that holy thing. The angel answered and said in her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Virgin born, Son of God. Now listen, everybody in this church right now, everybody has a human father and a human mother. How many would agree with that? If you would disagree with that, I'm not going to debate with you. As far as I know, every one of us, including myself, have a human father and a human mother. But the difference is Jesus had a human mother, but not a human father. His father was God. And that's how those two streams of Old Testament prophecy that he'd be God and man at the same time. That's how the New Testament explains how it happened. Human mother, no human father. His father was God. Say amen. Say praise the Lord. Virgin born. No human father. Human mother. Y'all with me? Therefore, he was what? The virgin born son of God. 
that Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 7. And he was Emmanuel, God with us. Now, if he is not the virgin-born Son of God, listen to me carefully. If Jesus had a human father and a human mother, he cannot save us. Isn't God amazing? That he could, those two strings can be brought together in one person, 100% God, 100% man at the same time, and at the same time fulfill the prophecy that he would be virgin born. That means he would not have the old Adamic nature in him, which was passed on to man through the Father begetting him. So he's virgin born as well as being God and man at the same time, which means he doesn't have that old Adamic, Adamic nature, that old fallen nature in him. Therefore, he qualifies to save us because his blood is not tainted as sin. Now, if he had a human father, that means he was a sinner. And if he was a sinner, then he needed a savior as well. And if he needed a savior as well, that means he cannot be my savior. That's why it is absolute is an absolute doctrine. It is a doctrine, a fundamental doctrine that you and I must believe in order to be saved. If you do not believe that Jesus is the mighty God in Christ, amen, human and God at the same time, you cannot be saved because the plan of redemption rests on that understanding of who he is. Okay, it is a fundamental doctrine. You cannot lay it aside and say that's not necessary. There are some things that we disagree in the earth prophecy. I have brothers in the Lord that disagree with the timing of the rapture. Okay? That's not fundamental to salvation. This that I'm teaching you this morning is fundamental to your salvation and my salvation and I'm not having to twist anybody's arm today. I know that. But you need to understand how important understanding that he's 100% man, 100% God at the same time, a virgin born, not having a damning nature. Therefore, he qualifies to be our Savior because he's without sin. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? An individual by the name of A.B. Bruce says it this way. Jesus Christ is not deified humanity. He is not deified humanity, but God in humanity. He's not a man taking God into him, but God taking on manhood. Let me say it again. Okay, A.B. Bruce says, not deified humanity, but God into humanity, not man taking God into him, but God taking on manhood. God adding to himself, you'll understand, God adding to himself another nature. Okay, or God adding to himself humanity. 
You want to leave nature out? Fine. God, the eternal Spirit of God, adding to Himself humanity, so that when you saw Jesus, you saw 100% a 100% man and 100% God at the same time. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him bodily. That's what the Bible says. It's so simple. If you just take the verses that I read from the prophecies of the Old Testament, those two streams of prophecy, and then you take the New Testament, how the New Testament explains those prophecies came to pass, it is so simple and so easy to explain. It's not complicated at all. What has made the teaching of the Christ of God complicated, or Christology complicated, is not the Bible. It is the dogmas of men. Because men read into the Bible with creedal glasses things that are not in the Bible, like the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? And these other doctrines that we talked about, the heresies, they read into the Scripture things that were not there. And so when they're taught in the churches, people, to be honest with you, they, they, don't, they don't understand what's being said. But I promise you, you take the word of God and just take those two streams of prophecy and see in the New Testament how they're fulfilled it is so simple to understand that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man at the same time and that, that all fullness all fullness dwelt in him in fact the scripture says that he might have preeminence which means first place he is not the second in anything. You, for you to call him the second person, you make him number two. The Bible says he is preeminent. He is first place. Hallelujah. And the prophecy of the Old Testament fulfilled in him. And uh, I can understand to a certain extent why those Old Testament interpreters probably scratch their head. Amen. Because they read him, how can this be? And the New Testament says, this is how it happened. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary when she was a child. And that child that was in her was called Emmanuel. God with us. And so, as to his person, the plan of salvation rests on this understanding. If he is not the Son of God, then, our, then the redemption that we believe in falls to the but I'm glad to tell you today he is who he claimed he was. Amen. And if he's not, if he's not who he claimed to be, amen, then he was a lunatic. And he wasn't a lunatic because he was who he claimed to be. And because of that, you and I can be saved. So Lord willing, next Sunday, we'll try to develop this some more. Okay, and we'll talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, how he uh, was God come in flesh. And it's a mystery, you know. Amen? It's a mystery. Not as to it, who he was, God and man, but how that all worked within him. That's a mystery. The Bible says, great is the mystery of Godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. It is a mystery, but it's understandable. He was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. I don't know how totally, but it's true. Amen. 
my salvation and your salvation rest upon that doctrine. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He. He in italics in John chapter 8. Except you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. If you don't believe that He is the I am. Hello, are you with me? Yahweh. Exodus chapter 3. The one that met Moses in the burning bush. Yahweh. The mighty God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Jesus said, if you don't believe that, I was the one that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. You'll die in your sins. That's how important it is. I feel the Holy Ghost all over me. I just, these, these waves, you know, of, of, I don't know, this does something to me. You might call them goosebumps, but I thank God for the truth. Because the truth makes you free. Amen. And you're you're free from all of the, the human dogmas and lies and heresies that that are taught in the church today. But more than that, not just be free from the false, but you are people who know the truth as to who this person is. Therefore, you can be saved. That's is it not? How many want to be saved? All right, so Lord willing, next Sunday we'll continue. We'll teach you on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We've got a lot to say to you, but that's all we'll do this morning. Let's stand. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you, Lord, for being so kind to us, gracious to us, God, that we might be showed the truth by the word that you are the mighty God and that you came to redeem us and save us. And the question was asked to the Pharisees what they thought of the Son. Pilate asked the question, what to do with him? Lord, we thank you for revealing to us today who he is.